All right, friends, welcome back to the midweek. We are in the story of 2 Samuel. We're in the beginning of David's kingship, where he has been anointed king over all of Israel. And we're going to go into a difficult chapter now. This is a chapter where David is going to run into the holiness of the Lord in a bad way. And there's going to be some hard things that happen. And one of the themes of this chapter really is honor and holiness and what happens where there's a failure of honor. And so what's going to happen is this is the story of David bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. In the last chapter, he conquered Jerusalem and they declared it the city of David. And so now we're going to have the story of David wanting to bring the Ark of the Covenant, which is the symbol of God's presence with the law of God written on the inside. So it is where God's presence and his word dwells in a physical symbol in the midst (coughs) of Israel. And David wants God near him. And so he's going to go and bring the ark. But he does it in a way that isn't right. And there's going to be consequences. And so I'm going to read and make comment. And we're going to study God's word together. 2 Samuel 6, starting verse 1. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the Ark of God, and Ohio went before the Ark. All right, so we have this scene here. David's been established in Jerusalem. He's been established as king. He wants to bring the Ark to him in Jerusalem. And we're reintroduced to the Ark, and it's given this really holy introduction when it's called um, the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. So we're reminded of God's holiness. He's the God of hosts, or the Lord of hosts. He's the God of armies. That's what that host means. He's the God of armies. He's the God of heavenly armies. And he's also the Lord over earthly armies, controlling their success and failures on the battlefield. So he's very serious. And he sits enthroned on the cherubim. And so it's a reminder, again, that the ark isn't specifically God's throne. He's actually enthroned in the midst of holy and powerful angels. And so we're reintroduced to the ark as this holy thing. Now, if you remember, we haven't seen the Ark for an entire book, essentially. The last time we saw the Ark was in 1 Samuel chapter 7, when the Ark comes back from the Philistine territory, where God had been destroying the Philistines with his plagues. Um, He didn't need a David to fight the Philistines, like in the end of the last chapter. He can do it just by himself, but the Ark of the Covenant came back from the Philistine country, and it was brought to Abinadab's house. And if you remember, the Ark of the Covenant went to the Philistine countries because of the lack of holiness in Eli's house and how his sons were unholy. And they took the Ark of the Covenant to battle and in battle they lost and God sent his Ark to the Philistines. We have some thematic echoes here. All right. We have um, the Ark coming from Abinadab's house, but it's on a cart. Do you remember how the Philistines sent back? the Ark of the Covenant from their territory, they put it on a cart with these guilt offerings. And so there is this reminder, okay, we're we're getting this echo of what the Philistines did uh, uh, a chapter ago, sorry, a book ago, 
And now we have this rehash where we have the Ark of God. It's going to be on the move and it's in the back of a cart. Now, if you know your Deuteronomic law, excuse me, if you know the law of Moses, you know that this is not how the Ark of the Covenant is meant to be carried. It's actually meant to be carried by the Levites. They form these long poles and the Levites who are consecrated to God are meant to be the ones carrying it. So that even putting, though it's on a new cart, this is not God's way. And so we have this scenario where Uzzah and Ahio, who are Abinadab's kids, I'm not even sure if they're Levites. Somebody can uh, study that and figure that out. Um, they're failing to honor God by transporting the ark with the holiness that God had commanded in the law of Moses. Verse 6, And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. So now we have a celebration with Israel followed by the holiness of God striking out against somebody and causing a death. And if you remember in 1 Samuel when the Ark of the Covenant came back from the Philistines territory, the people rejoiced, but then there was this like a holiness breakout where about 70 people were killed because they looked upon or looked in the Ark of the Covenant is kind of unclear from the Hebrew whether or not, you know, they were struck because they opened it up and looked it in there and they weren't uh, consecrated enough and holy enough to do that. Probably only like the high priest could do that to touch the Ark like that. And so there was this like movement of the Ark followed by celebration, followed by an outbreak of holiness against unholiness in Israel in 1 Samuel. And now we have that similar um, things happening here and we're meant to be reminded of this and we're meant just to be reminded that this is a holiness issue this is an honoring God issue Uzzah shouldn't have been on the ark with the covenant to start off with and then because he touched it God struck him dead right there verse 8 and David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day so Perez means like breaking out And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So very interesting here. So David has this reaction to to God's uh, holiness breaking out against him and he's he doesn't all of a sudden he doesn't want the presence of God because of this outbreak and David is being chastised David is the one really being rebuked because he was responsible for how the ark was being treated and so they turn it aside to the house of Obed Obed Edom and I don't even think a Gittite is that even an Israelite I'm not even sure um, but God is blessing here so now we have this situation where God's presence is still a blessing it's not like in the land of the philistines where god's presence was bringing this curse and they were getting cancer and tumors god's presence is meant to be a blessing but david has to learn here how to treat the ark of god with the holiness that god requires of him so this is ultimately a rebuke against david and uzzah and ohio they should have all known this they should have all studied their their uh, law of moses and known this um 
but God is not rejecting his people. And you know that because the blessing of the Lord is on Obed-Edom's house and saying to David, you know, bring me to your house and I'll bless you too. But it has to happen my way with holiness. So verse 12, and it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six feet, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. So David repents. And you notice that they don't make the biggest deal of it. They don't really say like, oh, you know, they, they totally clarified the Levite thing. They expect us to know that. So this book has high expectations of us that we would know God's word while we're reading this. It just says that, and those who bore the ark, you know, that's the Levites now. It's not on the cart anymore. Now the Levites are doing their job. David has repented and now he's bringing the ark back. And part of his repentance is that he's redoubling his rejoicing in the Lord. He went from celebrating with the Lord, with Ohio going before the cart, and now David is rejoicing extra, extra, and the Levites are carrying the ark, and now every every you know few feet there is an offering of honor. And these sacrifices, not only do they uh, cleanse from guilt, but they're just this sign of honor. Essentially, every six feet, they're honoring God as God with the ark. And David is uh, redoubling his worship. He's dancing before the Lord with all his might. And he's wearing this linen ephod, kind of like a prophet, or maybe he's just stripped down. I'm not entirely sure. But this is, and he's leading all of Israel in this. And so this is this great picture of um, repentance, um, where David's doing something, he's done it wrong, there's a consequence, and the Lord reaches out to David again through the, this sign of blessing. And so David comes back, not holding a grudge against the Lord, but like redoubling where he failed. So now the, the worship is better, and the ark is being carried, and now there's more sacrifice. And so this repentance before the Lord, you know, David's not doing worse because of his chastisement. He's actually now doing better, more worship, more honor, more sacrifice. It's a better party. It's a better party. And so this is a great picture of repentance and it's a great picture of God's um, kindness and forgiveness coming to David. But we have another scene here of dishonoring. Verse 16, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house. Okay, so now we change scenes here, right? We're, we're following the ark, we're watching the sacrifices, we're watching David dance. We have this big pan out of David dancing to see all the people around and all of Israel is celebrating. So there's throngs around the pathway and people are going before and people are falling behind and everyone's celebrating. And then we zoom over to Jerusalem 
the city of David, and here's Michal. Note number one, she's not with the people who are celebrating, which maybe is a bad sign to start off with. But as she looks out the window, she sees David dancing before the Lord, and she despises him in her heart. And that's bad. Remember, we haven't heard really from Michal as a character since she helped David escape. It's very interesting, actually, just the, the themes here. Do you remember Saul was going to kill David? And I think David, didn't he flee out of a window? Um, and so here we have Michal and a window now. And before she was trying to save David, but so many bad things have happened since then. Um, you know, she went with another husband who loved her and she was taken away and brought back to David. She sees David dancing and not acting like a member of a royal household, it seems like, in her eyes. And so she despises him. She dishonors him in her heart, which is probably meant to be a bit similar to how God and Uz, or sorry, David and Uzzah actually despise the Lord a little bit, or a lot. Uzzah for sure, touching the ark, no good. David not doing things the right way, not good. So we see this dishonoring happen. First it was David towards his king, and now it's Michal towards her king. Now we just see that entrance come. Now they don't meet right away. David's got work to do once they're at the city of David and he wants to bless the people. So he offers a bunch of offerings and peace offerings, kind of acting like a priest. This is like part of the, the foreshadowing of Christ who is both king and priest and prophet. And so was David. David wrote Psalms as a prophet. David led Israel as a king and he offered sacrifices like a priest for the people here. And so that's kind of like a bit of a... This is a good not staying in his lane. That kind of is one of the things that maybe the Levites should have been doing alone, but David is being presented as somebody who can offer offerings to the Lord, and those offerings are accepted. And it's because he's the first, he's a Messiah. He's the anointed one, not the capital um, A anointed one, Jesus, but he's the descendant of Jesus and prefigures Jesus in many of his roles and in many of his ways and in his life. And so David covers those three offices that Christ covered of prophet, priest, and king. And here David is being priest with his worship of the Lord, dancing before the Lord as a worshiper, and offering right sacrifices on behalf of the people in order to bring the best blessing to the people. That's verse 18. I'll read it again. And when David had finished the offerings, offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. So that's what priests do, right? They offer sacrifices, they worship, and they bless the people. And, and David's doing priestly stuff here. And then he gives them a care package, bread, meat, and cakes of raisins, which I think um, the raisin cakes would be their idea. They're like our cakes, like a chocolate cake, which would have been probably rare for them to eat. I don't think they had tons of sweets back then. Okay, but the household, there's issues in the household. Verse 20, and David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel has honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his fem servants, female servants, sorry, the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So she is embarrassed for herself on behalf of David because he was out there dancing in a linen ephod instead of wearing whatever she thinks royal robes should be. And she comes and she dishonors him with her speech because she felt he was dishonoring himself and thereby bringing dishonor on her. So this is selfish and she's embittered. She's got an embittered heart at this moment. Verse 21, And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. 
and I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes, but in the female servants, but by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Wow. So David's response is very interesting. This is a long response. You may remember I've been saying often the more people are speaking, um, the more important what is being said. The Bible could very easily just summarize it. And David rebuked her and went to bed. You know, it doesn't even have to quote him. And whenever there's a quote happening, we're having someone's heart come out. You're meant to read this and say, not hear not just what they say, but their heart behind this. And, and so here, David isn't contradicted by anything in the story. I think we're meant to read him as a trustworthy witness. What he says is true. And so he sees through the issue here, and he sees the fact, you know, even in verse 20, she's introduced as the daughter of Saul. So there's something about the transition of kingship going on here that's really bugging Mikael. And it's like, remember when Saul was appointed as a king, just like all the other nations? Unfortunately, it looks like Mikael is a princess, just like all the other nations, who's a little bit too concerned with her royal honor. And so David sees through this and said, I was dancing before the God who chose me instead of your household. Boom, rebuke and appointed me as prince over Egypt, and I will celebrate before him. So he exposes that she has an unbelieving heart. She's seeing the events through the eyes of unbelief, through the eyes of mere humanity, and he's rebuking her by seeing the events through the eyes of what the Lord is doing and the Lord is accomplishing. And then he says, and I will double down, you know, I will make myself more contemptible than this and will be abased in your eyes. So he said, I'm not afraid for you to think dishonorly of me. I'll do it even more so as I seek the Lord. But he says of the female servants, and he doesn't just mean like those young ladies who are impressionable. He sees them as the true worshipers. By them I'll be held in honor. Because he was out there and he saw them worshiping before. They were worshiping the Lord. So he's saying these people that you despise, you don't see them as fellow Israelites. You don't see them as your your family in the Lord. You, You actually bought into the whole like royalty is better than other people lie that the Lord does not let us believe, um, those female servants, they will honor me because we see the world through the eyes of faith. I think that's what he's saying there. So I kind of read into how he responds to her, her um, dishonor. And then in verse 23, she has no children to the day of her death. Um, so that's important in a few ways. It, it, it notes that there is no king king david slash king saul hybrid child there's no child that was a descendant of both kingdoms so uh, saul's kingdom and david's kingdom those joined by marriage aren't united in lineage anywhere it also probably signifies that david no longer had any relations with her physically um, and so their marriage died that night most likely if it was anything before um when I, I'm not even sure if David was going into her as a husband anymore after she was remarried to that other guy. She might have been living somewhat as a widow already. We just don't know. But there's some kind of um, there's some kind of parallel here. Remember, Uzzah touches the ark, and he and there's a loss of life. And in this case, Michal, with her word, touches the ark 
of the king. She treats the king dishonorably. And so there is a loss of life here in that she has no children. And I think these things are meant to be seen in parallel. Um, Uzzah touched holiness. Mikael touched holiness in a dishonoring way. And there are consequences for them. So, all right. This also is, unfortunately, you know, another step in the theme of David's broken relationships with women that's really going to come to a head with the Bathsheba incident that's coming down the pipe. But we see God working. We see God working. I think as we read these, we should all be encouraged that God can keep being faithful even in the midst of our sin. We can't live a perfect life. We will fail. We are weak. And sometimes we'll sin. But our hope is that as we humble ourselves, worship with joy, and turn back to the Lord, there is so much blessing to be had because God wants to bless us. God wants to be in relationship with us. God sent his son Jesus to die, to be our perfect sacrifice, so that we could keep coming back together. So that when we sin, our relationship isn't totally broken, like Mikael and David's relationship was totally broken. And when we turn to the God, to God and confess and humble ourselves, we are restored and the blessing of God can be upon us and our houses. So I hope you're blessed, Calvary Chapel. Enjoy your week, and let's keep meditating on the Word of God.